HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. This is our 325th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. This show will be airing later this week, and today my guest is an outstanding chef and culinary director based in New York City, and I will fully introduce her in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we'll have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to always break bread. Yes, this refers to sharing a meal with others and bonding over friendly and delicious experiences, but it goes even beyond that. It's about making meaningful connections and getting along, even with someone who may have a different point of view than you or me. So let's all break bread together. It's a nicer way to live. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm thrilled to be on location today with my guest, Aisha Nerjaya, executive chef and partner at Shuka and Shuket in New York City, and culinary director of the Bowery Group. Today, we are at Shuket, Aisha's neighborhood restaurant in Chelsea, which focuses on locally sourced and sustainable Middle Eastern food, and the sequel to Shuka, which she opened in Soho with owners Vicki Freeman and Mark Meyer in 2015, and earned a devoted following for her vibrant Eastern Mediterranean fare. Aisha is a 2022 James Beard Award finalist nominee for Best Chef New York State. The awards are coming up in Chicago next week. Can't wait. Without further ado, Aisha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I need uh, to play this recording once it's released over and over as my wake-up alarm. That was so beautiful. No one nails my name on the first try, and um, it was perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say, right as I got to saying your name, I said, 
oh no, I didn't ask you first, but I, you know what I did, and I'm sharing with viewers. I listened, I've watched, um, you've been on the Today Show quite a bit, and I'm like, I'm going to say it how Hoda says it. <laughs> you, you, nailed, you nailed it. You did it better than Hoda. You nailed it. Okay, cool. That's right. That's where I got. I figured that will be a good, Today Show's going to get it right. Well, I'm glad I got it right. Okay, awesome. Um, I'm so thrilled to be chatting with you and finding out about your story. So why don't you take us back a little bit to your background and how you got into cooking and becoming of a chef? Um, well, I have to say I grew up in a house where food was kind of a focal point. My dad was a chef and my mom is probably the best chef that I have ever known. And uh, it would be like chopped in our house all the time. My father transported was a chef on a ship that transported liquid natural gas from America to Asian countries. So he would be home for four months and away for four months. And when he was away, my mother would cook. And when he was home, he would cook three to five meals a day, like trying to wow us with his uh, culinary expertise. But it really started, I think, my mother coming from an Italian um, background. I just remember like waking up and we would already be talking about what we're eating for dinner, you know, like yeah, not yeah. even brush teeth yet and kind of like sitting, coming out of the bathroom, smelling delicious sauce percolating on the stove. Um, and I've always loved food. I think it wasn't until I moved out, I was 19, that I watched Lydia Bastianich on television and uh, her grandmotherly hands. And I was like, you know what? I could make that. So I grew up as a good eater, but I never really had to cook. And when I moved out, I kind of like wanted to explore. I think I had one of those underlying kind of like cooking things. Like I, I would watch a lot, but never really wanted to replicate it until I watched her. And then I was like, this is something that I think I want to do. So I enrolled into culinary school at ICE when it was on 23rd and 6th. I remember and, that. And um, that's really all she wrote. I was in, uh, I, I applied to law school and got in. My parents wanted me to be a lawyer, like everybody's parents that are a doctor. <laughs> and um, when I went to culinary school, I worked at a law firm during the day, and then I went to school at night, and I just knew uh, it was really something that I wanted to do. I staged at Felidia for one of my mod projects, and I remember being in the kitchen with Fortunato and six line cooks that have been there since, um, they were there for 17 to 18 years. And I was like watching, you know, a lot of people love the opera, and uh, which I've had the fortune to go. I like it, but I, I'm just not into it. And when you watch people that are into it, like they're like blown away and there's emotion. You can see, you know, their faces. And I feel like that's what I looked like the first time I was ever in a kitchen. It was, there was something about this unspoken symphony and how they were putting up plate after plate of this just beautiful food. Amazing. So then you went on, I saw you worked at Picheline, yes. and you also were worked for a bit with Missy Robbins yes. at Avoce. Um, what were those experiences like? Working, uh, well, I, I first met Terrence at Bar Artisanal, okay. uh, which was kind of a, a smaller, well, it was more of a um, Mediterranean restaurant that he wanted to do to stray away from Artisanal, which was very much like French bistro kind of thing. Um, and he was an interesting man. Not many people got along with him. I think he was uh, of the era of a hot-headed, tempered chef. Uh, but we had a really great relationship, and I learned a lot from him about like subtle flavors and about acid. Uh, he he liked to cook, but not. I watch him now. He he has like he's on uh, what do you call that Instagram? And I was like <laughs> I was like wow. He, he's he's evolved into such a like um, a calm person. And um, it's nice to watch him cook some of the old classics that him and I used to do together. And when that was closing, he said, come to Picheline. And I jumped at the opportunity because then, you know, when, when you're in culinary school, they want you, 
you make a decision like you're going to work towards this beautiful resume that's going to get you one job after the other, which at the time was very true because I never really looked for a job after I left for Philidia. Someone would call me and say there was something there. Oh, you worked with Lydia. Boom, you had this job. Oh, you work with Terrence. Oh, boom, like, you know, you got the job. And uh, when I went to Pichelina, it was a whole other ball game because I had worked, you know, primarily in Italian food and then learning these French techniques. Like I remember them bringing in like small game birds like grouse and with the buckshot in it and learning how to make sauces. It was just, I feel like it rounded kind of more of my knowledge of, of technique. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then you... And then Missy. Yeah, Missy. Right, so the wine director, one of the wine... Well, he was a psalm when he was at Felidia. He went to be, I guess, not... The, I don't know about a wine director, but he was the head psalm at Voce, and he told Missy about me. And uh, he was like, she used to make pasta there, and it's crazy, and I met Missy. And uh, I trailed. And I remember on my trail, she had this crispy pancetta dish and it was basically pork belly that had a dry rub and then it was slow roasted and then crisped up in the pan and finished with aged balsamic thin thin shaved slices of sicilian pistachio nuts baby basil um and slices of fresh figs and i remember taking that bite and having that like that ratatouille moment and it kind of like I, I felt that I had like cheated on my country and all everything that I learned about <laughs> Italian food and I was in French food and I said, listen, I want to work for whoever like knew how to put this dish together. And I put in, I put, I gave Terrence actually two months notice and he was like, that's too generous. He was like, you know, I take a month from you and then I started uh, at a voce. And um, I kind of, a part of me felt whole again. I always was uh, in awe of what flour and water can do. And getting back to working with pasta and Italian food, like, it was just amazing. Yeah, and that was at Columbus Circle, that location? Yes. Yeah. Insane, insane restaurant. Well, we used I, to do crazy covers there. I remember it, because I live, I live in that neighborhood. So, um, yeah, well, fabulous. Um, fabulous experience. So then, how did you meet Vicky and Mark and end up with the Bowery Group? Yeah, so uh, while I was at... Uh, a voce, Saul Bolton came for dinner and he ah, was a Michelin star name. chef in okay. uh, Brooklyn. He had the restaurant Saul and he was saying that he was opening a southern Italian restaurant and he wanted me to come. His business partner was from Gravesend, Brooklyn, where I was from, and we knew mutual people. And for six months, he was kind of wooing me because I was really happy at a voce. I loved the food. I mean, we had, to this day, it was the the best kitchen I've ever worked in. There are 28 people or cooks during service and each one of them wanted to be a chef. Like, you know, whose knife was sharpened, who, like, who worked more hours, who was coming in early before their shift. There was a pedigree uh, bar none that I, hadn't, I haven't seen since then. And um, I decided to leave there because of such a fondness for Brooklyn and true Brooklyn, which I call because I'm from Gravesend. And um, he was opening a restaurant on Atlantic Avenue, and my parents met on Atlantic Avenue. My grandmother lived a few blocks from there, and I felt like, how nice would it be for all these years that I worked in Manhattan? One, my commute. But two, also to give back to a place that I love so much. So I left Avoche to open up uh, a restaurant with him, and it was uh, it lasted about a little over two years. And um, he had some issues with his partnership and stuff, and I was craving the structured environments that I had come from. And... Um, Missy called me and she said, why don't you meet Vicky and Mark? And I said, what are they going to do with me? You know, Vicks was open and uh, the Hillary was there and, and she said, just meet with them. They're really good people. 
So we set up a meeting and we met at the Highline Hotel and I remember sitting down with them and I, I mean, we must have been there for at least three hours and just talking. It wasn't even like an interview. It was just like, you know, you sit down, we ordered coffee and all of a sudden we, it was like the conversation was so genuine and I felt like a sense of connection. And I think like I was at a point in my career where I knew it would be pivotal to make those kind of choices. You know, when you're young, you want to work in these Michelin star things, you want to learn, 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 you want to be a chef, chef, chef. And then you realize that the people that you're working with or for, it's really important that you and them share the same type of morals or at least food thoughts and stuff like that. And I think I was at a point that I knew like my next step I know I always, I, I don't think I ever worked in one restaurant for a year. I was like one of those people that stayed like two years or three years. And I knew that my next step would be a big one. And I wanted to make sure that I aligned myself with the right people. And you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. And no, I love hearing your background. And it's so interesting also to the way you talked about how back then you didn't, you know, one job kind of led to the other and how it's yeah. a little different now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Much different. So, so, so. And, and Vicky was on my show, episode 307, and I loved, she's someone, I mean, I feel I could chat with you for hours. I could chat with her for hours, too. But I, I um, so how did you, so so what was, you, you guys kind of brainstormed a, a new concept? Like, how did Shuka come about? So I said, they said, we have a space, it's called 100 Acres. Yeah. It's kind of um, Southern American, like fried chicken and waffles. Come look at the space, come eat the food, come trail. And I said, listen, I'm gonna trail like three or four times. And they were like, this, why? And I was like, <laughs> because I had just come from, I know. from an, a different situation where I just, I wasn't looking at the whole picture, right? I was looking at one of the things. And I think when you, when, and I think this happens to every chef, you come to a point where you realize like these are the, these are the steps that are really going to create who you're going to become and who you're going to align yourself with for your future. So I trailed, well, I ate there three times. I wanted to be in there for like lunch brunch and dinner and then I trailed for the same um, services on other days so I had been there like six days and they're like are you going to take this job or what and I said <laughs> well listen what it, what it, what they asked me if you were going to do anything what would you do and I said I want to do a Middle Eastern app restaurant and they were like that's crazy and I said uh, okay I said why don't we do like a Mediterranean restaurant something that focuses on you could still do like North Africa but more like Greece Italy and France something that's more approachable and uh, I agreed when I worked at Bartisanal, like those are the kind of flavors. And I, and I knew that I could still get my Middle Eastern fix in a way. Um, but even then, I didn't know how far I wanted to dive into it. And that's really how it started. Um, the transition between fried chicken and waffles and hummus is pretty tough. <laughs> and um, we had a PR agency at the time. Well, what happened was is that in October, we started talking about prefix for... Um, New Year's Eve and I said I can't even hear the word prefix my ears are bleeding can we do something else and they're like what do you want to do and I said let's turn this place into a night in Marrakesh and at the time the GM was a Lebanese woman and she said I'll help you we put we draped silk from the ceilings we hired a belly dancer and they said if you get a hundred people to come to this thing we'll change this restaurant so I called like 75 of my friends and I was like <laughs> 25 people please come and we sold out that night um, I think I put 39 dishes on the menu. It was family style. I think the people, if they got 11 or 12 dishes, the cr kitchen crashed and burned, uh, but with delight because it was just like, I never, we never expedited a service like that. It was very ambitious, but I didn't still think out all the kinks. 
of how it would work. Uh, this was our sixth year that we did it for New Year's Eve this year, and um, that's really how it happened. After it, it was a successful. Um, and I think we decided in June that we were going to close and change the name. In August, we closed for a few days. We painted, put on some tiles, and that's really how Shuka was born. Amazing. I mean, I've had some uh, wonderful experiences there. I was thinking back, I think the first time I was invited, I think it was an open table dinner in the back room. And I just remember being blown away. And I've been back since um, several times. The food is just delicious. I mean, the it's the, the, the dips and the sharing. And um, it's so interesting to me that you're a bit, uh, you you did a lot more Italian food before this. And so, but you, you made, it's like you master it. I feel so naturally. So I think you found the right fit in that space. Also, I know it has the history of what was it, Provencal, yes, and yep. it's a gorgeous restaurant. Yep. So. And uh, there was just, I think, I think Anthony Bourdain said this. He said inside every chef is a small Asian person because we're always craving noodles and like, uh, hot pots and things like that. But my, my guy had a little Fez hat on. And I think that growing, <laughs> my, my grandmother so lived funny. in Cobble Hill. And I remember her taking, she was a very adventurous eater. And she used to take me to Sahadi's and to Damascus, which are still there. The OG has Sahadi's when they used to have the glass, you know, tops. And she used to say, you could pick five things. And she used to be like, taste that and taste this. And I remember like eating hummus and, and, and falafel. But I think it was more, I mean, as I grew older and I was able to eat out, like it was more of that convivial style of dining that I loved, which you talked about just now with the dips and stuff. We call it the rip and dip here. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I'm like, don't want to commit to an entree. And that the eating of the appetizer, mid-course and entree, it's just, sometimes you have to be very committed to that, you know? And sometimes you don't. It depends who you're eating with, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think that this style of dining is like always what I liked. You can get a lot of little things and share them and the possibilities and the tastes and the cre the creative part for me, it seems endless. Yeah. So. There's, I would say as a huge solo diner, a little challenging for solo diners because usually, or at least I want everything on the menu. <laughs> right, right, right. So I'll usually end up order over ordering. But the good thing is... This, this your type of food is great for leftovers and you take you know it all goes so well together Midnight like stacks, you know next day lunch you know it's okay sure. it's okay to, to to have a little little second meal off it um so then how did how did shukat come about so i became partner a year into shuka and um they said do you want to do another concept and i said absolutely however i will never be in the basement you know, your whole time being a chef, you watch your food, your creation, or even as a cook, you watch it go out the door, and then it ends for you, right? Then right. now you're cooking for the next, the next two, the next what? And I think that I have a big personality, and I kind of like always would, they would be like, chef, run upstairs. And I'd run upstairs to the dining room, like pick my head up and like say hello to a table, and then run back down. But I never got to really spend time with, you know, I, I joked because when we opened this place, I was like, there's not a person that goes to Shuka that even knew that I was the chef there. I mean, my name is in like font 30 on the bottom of the menu, <laughs> but I don't have the presence in the dining room that I have here. And I, when Shuket was created in the brain, I didn't want a basement kitchen, and I really wanted to blur the lines between the front and the back. I wanted a counter style of service where people would be like, oh, what's that? And we'd be like, oh, fennel, and give you a piece. Or uh, if something was hanging, like um, when we first opened, we used to hang like a lamb on top that we used to make shawarma with here. And like when we started to cut it, people were like, oh my God, what's that? And we used to take a toothpick and give it out to people. So I really wanted it to be like a more vibrant, interactive experience. Like, and uh, 
I mean, I think that we definitely got the creative chaos part in it. And I think that, you know, Shuket, I remember the first day, the first night of service, it was like, I say this, I said this to someone before, but it was like wearing a dress with no Spanx. You know, there was just like, everything was just <laughs> free. It was just right. And I felt like, I knew that this place would be special, but I didn't know the kind of magic it would bring to me. That is so funny. <laughs> and yes, you have a very big personality. <laughs> and um, and also being here now, which I said, you know, the quiet before the storm where you're not in service. And the restaurant is has all this natural light coming in and it's beautiful. But I'm like, I've never seen this space without people. It's usually... It's packed, the energy level, the excitement, the open kitchen. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's an exciting, delicious place to dine. And you also have all the, the, the open kitchen with all the, I mean, this is good for solo diners or, or yeah. couples too with all the, the counter seats. So yeah, I always say it's like dinner and a show. We it really fade is. in and out yes. as you like. So how do you manage your time between this and you're also, you have the title of culinary director? It's pretty difficult. Uh, <laughs> I have yet to master any of that. I would say that, I mean, I'm here, it's still a baby. We're not even a year old yet. In July, we'll turn one. But uh, I'm here Tuesday through Saturday night expediting and uh, being in service and creating a really, hopefully, positive uh, team and work culture here. I think um, I go to Shuka during the day, usually there on Fridays, Saturday morning, and sometimes on a Tuesday. Still creating the dishes for there. I'm very lucky. My team that's been there has been there from me from the 100 Acres days. And my chef de cuisine, Carla, has been with me. She was an extern at Avoche. And now oh, she's wow. the chef de cuisine at Shuka. So very proud of her. Um, so I, I try... I, I try to, this is, I don't say I divide my time, I spend time when I can and, wh and where the priorities are. You know, I love to create, like the, the whole creating process I think is the most interesting and since I've been here, since this place is opened, I feel like it just unleashed like a whole side of my cooking. You know, they say, it gets to a point you cook someone else's food for a long time and then you like go through this transition where you find your culinary voice and what that is. And then once that happens, it's like a, another transition in where you have like the dishes that you know and then the dishes that you still want to create and you still want to push yourself. And then I have the seasons to deal with in a positive way. Like right now, it's like it was dormant for a little while, like kohlrabi and cauliflower and all that. And now the green market is like exploding. And when you get there, you're like, oh, zucchini. You don't want to have, you know, I think that shuka and shuket have two different personalities. And I think some of the dishes truly reflect that. So sometimes I try to, I don't try to create simultaneously for them, but I'll be like, okay, I need something for Shuka. Let me get into like my Shuka mode and then yeah. do it that way. Yeah. Well, what's most popular here? I think um, the breads, the frena is probably the yeah. bricks that are going to build this place. We probably sell between a 150 to 300 pieces of frena, depending on the day. Amazing. And all the bread here is made and cooked to order. So Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah. I was also, I was going to ask you what, you know, with the pandemic, you were delayed. Mm -hmm. um, I I know from doing PR, I've worked with Jim Leahy, Sullivan Street Bakery, which is your neighbor, right. and this space used to be co or company. Um, and I'd worked with him a little uh, on that. And I remember when, I actually remember when he told me he was going to sell the space and that it was, he was going to sell it to Vicky and Mark and that 
he was so he was excited because it was like good people, you know, right. like that was what was most important to him. But when I, I also when I walked in, I remember I was like, wow, you moved everything around. Yeah. Um, and the opening. So when was the opening supposed to happen? I also know from working with restaurants that everyone's yeah. always delayed, we were two so. weeks, two years delayed because of. Uh, oh, crazy. Yeah. So we were at first it was a full gut. I mean, down to the studs. Yeah. And even downstairs, uh, which our prep kitchen is, we had to put in some sinks and stuff like that. You know, Jim had the wood-burning oven, which we wanted to keep. Logistically, it would have been like we'd have lost seats. And this is already the smallest of all the restaurants that we have. Thank God for the outside and not thank God for the pandemic. But I mean, that we now that we have that ha- the, yeah. the street uh, instruct- uh, enclosure and seating out here. So we had to get rid of the oven and he had no line. It was everything was electric, and um, I know a lot of chefs like to cook on electric and get it done. But I'm just a fire kind of girl, and we wanted to do this place with like charcoal grill, and we had a vision. So we really needed to do it. And for the longest time, we had issues with Con Ed, and then after Con Ed came the pandemic, and then the pandemic uh, three days before we were going to open, um, there was a project manager here. His name was Joseph, and he was order- he used to live across the street and. Uh, was ordering toilet paper and tuna fish. I'm like, what are you doing? And he was like, there's going to be a pandemic. I'm like, yeah, it's never going to happen. You know, I was in denial. I was opening a restaurant, training. We had full staff. The gas was turned on. We're like making shakshuka and like, you know, going through this menu. And three days later was the mandatory close. And um, the paper was never lifted out of here. So the night that we opened was the first day that I got to experience this. That's why I think it was like so prolific because I just never knew how much light this place you know, yeah, I has. remember coming by and yeah. seeing the paper, and uh, well, I don't. It's been such a hard, hard couple of years, but you, you got open, yeah. um, and actually, it's a good. This is a good transition to my question for my last guest. So, on episode three two four, I had on Dan Ryan. He's the founder and CEO of Agency Nine Six Seven, and he's the host of Defining Hospitality podcast. And his question is. What are the odds that you put at New York City keeping the outdoor dining pods without more restrictions? He noted he loves the the outdoor dining was a silver lining to the pandemic to him. And he also noted that Cook Shop is one of his favorite restaurants, which Thank is you part of that. your restaurant group. Um, Cook Shop was, has been the darling of the Bowery Group for the last 16 years. So very excited for that. I mean, I think the truth is, is that I think the structures themselves might be around for a while. I think they're just going to start to tax us or, or we'll have to pay a fee, like as if when you had to renew for your outdoor um, cafe seating, you know. I know a lot of people have invested a lot of money into them and other people haven't, but I think that the city has been really strict with the guidelines. I mean, the first... I remember when we reopened the Department of Buildings, like one week, I think they gave us 16 visits. Wow. You know, and some of them were for fine things or some and some of them, some of them were just to just check up, but like to make sure that you were the proper distance from the hydrant or to make sure that you had on, on all the outdoor barrier sides, you have to have them filled with sand and that they whatever they have to have the tape on them. And I think once if you're abiding by the rules, which can change in a, in a, in a, in a drop of a hat, but if you're updated with the rules, they're pretty cool with it. But I think at the end of the day, the city wants to make money. And I know that they tried or their initiative was that restaurants could reopen and make some money, but they'll want to have their hand in the pocket. So, I mean, I foresee it. I don't know if it'll be permanent because that's 
a bigger issue, I think. But I think for the foreseeable this season, at the very least until September, I know that we'll definitely have them and we haven't had to pay anything for them yet. Yeah, well, and you have a corner location, so yes. you have an, it's it, yeah. to the advantage, I think. And for, some re and for some restaurants, I mean, they had smaller, like they had 10 seats outside, they got to have 30 or 40 outside, which is beneficial. Yeah, so no, it completely I'm all changed. for them. It changed, it changed a lot and for, and helps, helps restaurants survive with having all those outdoor seats. For sure. So, um, awesome. Okay, so before we take a break, one thing we have to talk about is this James Beard Foundation Award nomination for Best Chef New York State, which is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's, this has been an, like a whirlwind of a year to open up this restaurant and then get a, a, a nice review from the New York Times and the New Yorker and to round it out with this nomination. I mean, I feel like the luckiest person on the planet. And sometimes you are... I feel so grateful, but sometimes you don't have the time to like kind of soak it in. So this weekend, I actually, I had offset Sunday and Monday and on Sunday, like really thinking about like what that means and what that means to me and how honored that I feel. I think when I first heard it, when I made the 25 list, I was like shocked. Like George, like I just could not believe it. And then now to get down to the finalists um, or the semifinalists, the well, last five. five. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, pretty it's a incredible. big deal. Yeah. Big no, deal. it really is. And it's an honor more than anything. I mean, I tried to Google like some of the last, the, the televised portions of the last few years just to, you know, look at the fashion, look at what people are saying and, you know, of the previous years. And um, it is just such an honor to be nominated. You know, a lot of people you talk about like sacrifice and validation. And I don't know that it's that for me. But I, I just feel like feel when you go into this industry, no matter who you are, even if your dad or mom is the most famous chef on the planet, it's an uphill battle the whole way. And I think we talked about like building a resume and like working at these restaurants and how important they were to me and like how my life has changed. Like I, I always wanted to get a Michelin star and, and like some of these accolades. And now when I walk in here, and, and service starts at 5 o'clock, and at 5.40, my restaurant's full every night. Like, there's just, like, that's the thing that means the most to me. And I'm so honored to be nominated in this category that's tremendous. I mean, New York State, there's, a, there's like, there's, I can nominate yeah. 25 people that weren't even on that list right now. Yeah, because yeah. they, well, I mean, they changed the category, too. It used to be New York City, but right. now it's including the whole state. And, yes, you're, you're in the top five, and you... I will say, need to look out for me. I'm going to be on the red carpet. All right. I'm going to be there with my mic and doing some interviews. And so count me in. Count um, me in I'm for gonna, sure. I'm going to try to try to get you as you come down before the award ceremony. And um, I think as a chef, you learn to manage your emotion for sure. But I don't know about that day. I could oh, when I even like when I start to talk about it, I just become like reclamped. Like yeah, it's just emotional. It's just really an honor to be amongst all the, all of these. Uh, like accomplished people in this industry and like I said like it's always been an uphill battle and it's kind of like something beautiful to celebrate and win or lose I feel that even the nomination like is oh, a win yes. oh yeah no you're a winner I mean you're a winner you, <laughs> Thank don't, you. No, you don't need the in my you don't right. need the awards but having yeah being I mean it's a bit you're you've won already in my opinion thank so, you so um, we'll see what happens so we're we'll going see. This, we're going this weekend to celebrate regardless 
Yeah, yeah. So awesome. I will see you in Chicago. And for take one note, I'll say just um, when you're talking about, you know, the place being busy, there was a column, um, there was a column in New York Magazine, Grub Street, that um, I don't know if you saw it yesterday. It's by, it's by Tammy Tecla Merriam. I think that's how she pronounces her name. And she's been writing this column this year. It's called The Year I Ate New York. And yesterday she came out with this summary of kind of what's happened in the past five, six months. And on this list, it said, the restaurant with the hottest customers is Chouquet. <laughs> and I, didn't, I did not know that fact. But now I know, and everyone else does too. <laughs> See? But she probably was here one night when you were here. So oh, you're, you're in it. You're oh, in it. <laughs> oh, oh, drop the mic. That's it. We're done. Bye. <laughs> um, thank you. That's, so, that's very, very sweet. But I think you have... Um, yeah, you obviously have a, a hot crowd and a, a, a good crowd. Chelsea's a hot neighborhood. Good crowd, good crowd. Chelsea's a hot neighborhood. People that come, they bring it. So I'm yeah. very excited. So, um, all right, now it's even going to be harder to get a reservation <laughs> here. It was hard enough. Um, okay, let's take a little break and we'll come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. You've heard me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on this podcast now for some time. Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Whether you are an experienced bartender looking for new inspirations and trends, or you are just starting out, Diageo Bar Academy's online courses offer real-life skills to help you grow in your career. They are always free, interactive, and some take less than 30 minutes to complete. E-learning courses cover everything from skills and techniques to basics of spirit categories and improving guest experiences. Visit DiageoBarAcademy.com to build your skills with Diageo Bar Academy e-learning and masterclasses. Made for newbies and bar professionals at every level, it's time to focus on taking your career to the next level. Become a member today for instant access to their global bar community. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Must be 21 or over. Please drink responsibly. Welcome back to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Aisha Nurjaya. She's the executive chef and partner of Shuka and Chouquet in New York City, and she's also the culinary director of the Bowery Group. So, Aisha, it's time for my speed round. Okay. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Vanilla. <laughs> All right, you're gonna be good at, you're gonna be good at this game. Okay, here we go. Eat in, at home, or eat out at a restaurant? Eat out at a restaurant. Indoor dining or a la fresco dining? Indoor. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Champagne. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Open kitchen or closed kitchen? I can go either way on that, but I'll pick open kitchen for the sake of Chouquette. Three more. Beet hummus or whipped feta? Ooh. You're going so fast, I finally had to get you to slow down on one. Yes. 
the minute that the whipped feta is made, it's magical. But I can eat the beet hummus all day. Interesting. It's magical. Yeah, I could eat both anytime <laughs> right now. Okay, cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Two of them, please. <laughs> Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn, all the way. Brooklyn. Maybe we'll open a restaurant in Brooklyn at some Could point. Be. Could be. Then you'll have to ask me how I'm going to divvy up my time, and I'll tell you, I know, I just stay in Brooklyn all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, these your restaurants in the city are pretty close to each other that you yeah. get around pretty fast, but yeah. True. Okay, so for industry news, I picked out an article that was on Eater New York. Um, it came out last week, and it was entitled, New York Restaurants Can't Ignore TikTok Anymore. The social media app is appending how new and legacy businesses from Chinatown to Sheep's Head Bay stand out in the country's busiest restaurant scene. And this is by Emma Orlo. So TikTok, I mean, I'm, I don't know, it's become this, it's, it's social media app, very popular, I feel, with, uh, I've always said, a bit more younger generation. Um, I've had it for a while. I have an account. I look at it sometimes. Personally, I'm not, I haven't dived into it, but it has, it's changing the landscape. It's interesting, this whole article, there were a couple articles in Eater just talking about TikTok. Um, and I know there was, an, there was an example in the article about how um, Skirt Steak, which is Laurent Tarandel's restaurant, that he has this, uh, it's like a very affordable prefix. It's $28 Skirt Steak meal, three courses. Um, so all the that, fries you can have, right? All, all the fries. And I I went, I learned about it while I read about restaurants, but apparently this place went viral on TikTok and has a line. And I, when I decided to go, I knew it was busy. So it opens at five and I got there at 445 and there was a line already of 10 people. And I got in right, you know, when they opened and I had a great time. I talked about it on, um, as my solo dining experience on episode 316, if anyone wants to listen. But by the time I left, the line was like all the way down the block. Um, must have been almost, I don't know, like 75 people. So um, ticked, and and he's in this article, even he's crediting it, like some uh, of a well-known TikToker, I guess you'd say, influencer went in, posted, and it went viral off that. So... Um, what's amazing. your, it is amazing. What's your, what's your take? Are you, are you guys on it? Are you no. and TikToking? We need, to, we need to be on it. I think the problem is, is that we are uh, old school when it comes to a lot of things like that. And we have somebody that handles our Instagram. But uh, I, and I feel like personally, I've just learned how to kind of like repost stories. And I feel like I'm, I'm kind of fluid in how to post things on Instagram. And now with the reels and the TikTok, I, I mean, these are businesses within themselves, these influencers that do that. But I personally, I don't even, I think the last time I tried to try it, I didn't even know how to upload something. So I, I we need help if anybody's out there. Uh, yeah, well, it's interesting. I don't know. I find, I mean, in PR marketing, social media, what, you know, with working with restaurants, I mean, I, Instagram has been, and I think will continue to be a huge um, influence, a, 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 a place where, I, I think all the restaurants and chefs are, are have adopted to it and embraced it, but it is interesting now or how it's changing with the reels and the you, videos and the algorithm. Um, but I think what people were saying, like 
even after the pandemic, people are going to Instagram to see if restaurants were open and what their timing was. It's because it takes three or four days, even weeks, for Google to change their page. And meanwhile, they were it's instantaneously done on these, Absolutely. these, these platforms. Yeah, no, it was a great, it still is a great um, information resource or it's and to get yeah instagram is i'm i'm big on instagram and it's but it will be interesting to see which restaurants are or how if if it changes i mean all this stuff the social media is still fairly new i mean when when you and i started working with 100%. restaurants there was no social media i mean media. i still like you like to read things and like you know i look forward to the new york times and holding it on wednesday and opening it up how many people i mean they have to have at least lost 50% of their viewership, if not more. I'm talking about just in the paper. I'm sure people uh, subscribe to it online, and I hope they do. But I don't know, you know, the intention span, these reels, uh, the way that these algorithms work, I mean, it's like 60 seconds. You kind of feel like, oh, my God, I saw everything, and now I want to go there. I, I think that people that know how to edit those and do that, you know, I, I'd say, you, you know what? It's one of those things that I guess we have to evolve with as time goes on. Because this probably will be the future. If it's not TikTok, it's going to be something else after that, right? Yeah, I mean, well, it will. Yeah, I mean, it's. We'll see. I mean, I checked out this. It was um, Sister Snacking is the account that went did the skirt steak, and I was I went last night and was looking at their account. What's interesting with the videos is they're they're very casual, and the food pics aren't. If I don't know when I on Instagram, people's food pics are so perfect. Pristine, yes. Perfect. Perfect lighting. Perfect. Everything's kind of perfect. And what I was finding when I was scrolling through TikTok is it's it's more just, it's not, it's not perfect photos or lighting or, but it's just like quickly showing you their experience. You know, they're here, they're there. This is what they ate. We're having a good time. And so it's like a different, um, it's just, it's a different way to promote. Um, and it's working. It's yeah. working for a lot of places. Actually, I work with a restaurant called Azatar, and I work on their PR, but they have a social media person that, that works on their social media, and they have a TikTok account. And they're very, that's the one client of mine that has a good following and definitely has an influence I like Tarek, over there. He, we did a, uh, we did, um, a throwdown with Michael Simon oh, together. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I, he told me about that. It was um, awesome. We had a good time. It was his first time. He was, like, nervous. And I was like, you're, you're going to be fine. And the, you know, the more that we talk, you know, the, it's a waiting game for them to cook, to whatever. Yeah, yeah. So the more that we were talking, it was, he, was, he, he did great. And, and I watched it, actually. Usually I try not to watch myself, but I watched it and I was like, he nailed it. So you would never have known it was his first time. Yeah, no, that's so awesome. I'm going I'm to tell him you said that. Yes. And, and, and um, he, he, is, he is amazing in his restaurant. He has two locations now, and he's known for his tableside shawarma. Yeah, and it's the food's delicious. So, um, and he's he has a very um, like what's right and what's wrong when it comes to shawarma. You know what I mean? Like the white sauce and the fries, and it has to be this way. And I and I and I like that about him. He was very opinionated in the best way because he has passion about what he does, and yeah. and I think it's a lineage of his heritage. So people that bastardize it for him, he was not having it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I love that. And I love these shows where they, they bring you guys together, yeah. you know? And so, oh, fantastic. Okay, so we'll stay tuned to see what happens with TikTok in the future. Meantime, you, I'll see you on Instagram. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for my solo dining experience this week, I went to Laser Wolf Brooklyn. Figured I'd kind of keep in the genre of, of, of cuisine, of what we're talking about. Um, okay, so 
Here's the rundown. The location, 97 White Avenue at North 10th Street in the Hoxton Hotel on the rooftop, and this is in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. The concept, a shupadia, which is, or a skewer house, featuring the award-winning Israeli cuisine of Michael Salmanov over live coals, and they have tip-top cocktails, uninterrupted Manhattan skyline views, and um, it's a kebab-focused menu on a charcoal grill. So the chef and owner is Philadelphia chef and restaurateur Michael Solomonov and his partner Steve Cook of Cook and Solo. And um, it's in partnership with Rob Katz and Kevin Bame of the Boca Restaurant Group, which is based in Chicago. Uh, I think both of these chefs, Philadelphia-based and Chicago-based, at one point told me and have told others they would not come to New York City, but what do you know, they partnered and they did. And uh, why did I go? Well, I'm a big fan of both of them and their restaurants and, of course, of um, the cuisine and rooftops with a view. So my experience, I made a reservation for one on, a, I think it was a Monday, um, around 7, I was hoping to catch a sunset, and I got a little bit of it. It was a rainy night, but it kind of cleared, and it was, it was, it's a fabulous view regardless. Um, I was seated at a, a two-top that was kind of in the center of the space near the pass. So it was a lot of action, uh, friendly service, uh, manager and host all checked on me when I was there. Really good energy good time. I miss seeing Michael and Kevin. They weren't there that night. Um, I did meet a manager, though, when I was, uh, Brian, who was from Chicago, when I was riding down the elevator, and uh, he had just moved here. He'd worked with the Boca Restaurant Group for a while, so that was kind of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I had a really good time. So what did I get? So I got the Salatim, which is their signature Israeli snacks. They're like little salads and dips, and um, it, um, it included... Michael's hummus, which is fabulous hummus, um, and their house-made pita, and then the the of there were like ten little little of these snacks, and they included Israeli pickles, baba ganoush. Uh, there were some olives and pickled green tomato with cucumber and harissa, um, and this also usually comes with uh, a skewer from the grill. And the my server told me there were pretty large portions meant more for sharing. So he said I could just get the salatine without that, which is what I did. And then I also got the date harissa wings with tahini ranch as more like my main. And then at the end, they brought out a, a brown sugar soft serve with pistachio, cherry, and crispies, which were complimentary. Um, I did have some leftovers. Uh, my take was all fabulous. Um, I really love his pita and hummus. Um, and the wings were really, really tasty, delicious, um, soft serve, perfect ending. Um, it was a really great meal. So the ambiance, it's a covered rooftop. It's on the 10th floor. It's an open kitchen, a long space. Um, it's modern, but it's, it's pretty casual. It's, and um, it has this fantastic view of Manhattan. So you're looking, looking at the skyline. I'd say it's perfect for date night or dinner with friends. Um, a little harder for soloists because a lot of the stuff is shareable. But um, of course, of course um, I would go back solo. And they also do have uh, some seats at their counter. Um, which, which I always find is a great place for solo diners to sit. Interesting tidbit. So Laser Wolf, this is their second location. The first opened in Philadelphia. It's named after Lazar Wolf, L-A-Z, 
Z-A-R Wolf. Um, this restaurant is L-A-S-E-R, um, which is the butcher in the iconic Jewish musical Fiddler on the Roof. I did not know that. Um, and the center of the Laser Wolf's universe is a charcoal grill. So that's where the name came from. Personal fun fact, uh, Michael Salmanov and Kevin Beam have been guests on this podcast. One is episode 195, and then Kevin's episode is 252, if you want to check it out. And also a little fun fact, um, this restaurant's in a Hoxton hotel, and I stayed at a Hoxton when I was in Los Angeles last year, and they have a rooftop um, with a restaurant, and they also have a pool up there. So uh, this one doesn't have a pool, but um, I, like, I like the Hoxton. They also have a great lobby downstairs. Okay, the cost of this meal was $42, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Uh, website is laserwolfbrooklyn.com. And welcome to New York City, guys. Happy to have you. <laughs> I gotta you, go. No, have, I'm dying to try been? it. Have you been? Big fan of Michael, and I think Zahav is definitely one of my play, favorite places. And when he had Designoff in the Chelsea Market, I would I was like a frequent flyer there. Just a peat in the hummus, and whatever I was like, whatever you want to put in the middle, I'm I'm having. Actually, I realized I forgot about that that he had that for a while. So that kind of takes me back to my comment of um, not opening in New York, but I guess. Um, he did. He dabbled. He did. He did dabble, and I was sad when that closed. Um, Chelsea Market and Hummus are kind of two, like, Chelsea Market's a tough place, even though there's, like, 10,000 people that fly through there, I don't know, every three hours or something. There's, there's, there's a number. Don't quote me on that, but um, yeah, yeah. it's insane. And I did just think people's idea of what hummus is and when to eat it and kind of not how, like, physically, but more of, like, do I, is this a snack? You know, I think... A lot of Americans have hummus with crudite, and they either use that as their lunch or a snack. And I think that he was trying to show, like, the Israeli culture of it, which is either, like, breakfast or for a real meal. Yeah. But I think in that, I don't know if it's the exact space, but there's now a Misnown in the market. Yeah. Um, which is similar, you know. But it's more, hummus, I mean, Misnown has Israeli about, food. like, 10 or 12 sandwiches on there. Yeah. So, and they have that hamburger or that steak situation with the cheese kind of melts. I mean, <laughs> yeah, a little different. A sucker for that. But, yeah. um, but I, I'll say I'm totally with you with Zahav. Zahav is just favorite, favorite restaurant. This is in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's funny because been. I've I've had obviously um, the honor of crossing paths with so many chefs, and him and I kind of know all the same people, but we've never met. So I'm excited to one how yeah he's friends with Missy, and she's I was like, oh, well, Michael was here and. Missy's doing um, Governor's Island again, oh, and she's having go. two guest chefs this year. One's him and one's my, oh, no, one is, um, she was like, oh, I'm going to ask, you know, him to do it. I don't think that he was able to. And she's like, I'll take him to your restaurant for dinner so you guys can finally meet. He's a great guy. Yeah. Like, you'll, you guys, you'll, you'll bond, you'll talk for hours. Yeah. He'll, yeah. He seems yeah. it. So yeah. I'm he's excited. a good, he's, he's, he's a good the Last one. time I was in Israel, the Avi Hai, who has, um, I forgot the name of his company, uh, but he was like, oh, my God, Michael was here three days ago. And I was like, this is what happens to me all the time, so don't worry about it. Yeah. No. Oh, awesome. Well, and if you and if you want to go, I mean, I said this place, I'd go back solo, but I feel next time, probably the next time back would be good to go with other people because it is the shareable type of, yeah. of plates. And you can and order was, more things and taste yeah, more things. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to go, let me know. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is Suzanne Barr. She's a chef, an author, and social advocate. She lives in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. She's going to be in New York for 
for our show. Uh, we're going to do it at, at Heritage Radio Network Studio. And she has a new book out called My Aki Tree, A Chef's Memoir of Finding Home in the Kitchen. So Aisha, can you please ask a question for Suzanne? Sure. Um, so I looked her up and looked at her Instagram and then like, you know, you go down that rabbit hole of just keep looking. And I think what was amazing is like what I wanted to know is how did she be have the transition of her being a chef and uh, to a community leader? How did that happen? Because I think a lot of us want to make the kind of dent that she has um, with sharing not only her cuisine, but basically her beliefs and and things that she advocates for. And I think sometimes it's kind of hard. Like what, what catapults that, you know, to your neighborhood? Is it just that, you know, what did she do? Did she start attending events? Did she host them at her restaurant? I mean, I think her sharing her story of her Jamaican heritage and her food, it's just really, really interesting. So I'm excited to pick up her book. But that's my question for her. That is a really great question. And I'm, I'm going to find out. All right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how she did it. Um, I met her briefly. Actually, I was at the Philadelphia Chef Conference uh, a couple months ago, and she was there. And we, we, we were like chatting with a few people and kind of met um, and then her book and I don't know it's uh, I'm excited to have her on yeah so I know we all as chefs we wear many hats but I know that she's a restaurant owner and advocate a big advocate in her community and she's a mom and you know and book it's a lot but I think a lot of us want to be you know like I was telling you before like I wanted to have a fancy restaurant Michelin star but now like being part of Chelsea in the neighborhood like I want to do more for the community if I can so she can give me some pointers on how to you know, be someone that could uh, be effective in uh, promoting positivity or whatever it is in this community. I would love to be part of that. I'll find out, and I'm smiling big because you're just such a you're such a good person, and you're an amazing chef. And I am thrilled to have had you on my show and chat with you today. But that's the show. I yeah. wish we could it's go on. A, it's been an honor. I think I remember when I I met you at uh, Welcome Conference like a few years ago, and I was like, I want to be on that show once. And now, boom, a bucket list check off. I'll remember today. Making my day, making my day. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so fun to be on location. It's like, you know, during the pandemic, I, I'm still doing a lot of my shows remotely, but it's uh, being in person is, is always, always a treat. And um, I can't wait to, to have your food again and see you in Chicago. Yes. Best of luck. Congratulations. Yes, on the red carpet. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, I'll see you there. My guest today has been Aisha Nurjaya. She's the sh executive chef and partner of Shuka and Shuket, New York City, and the culinary director for the Bowery Group. And um, her website, shukanewyork.com and shuketnyc.com. And follow her on Instagram. She's at Aisha underscore rare at shukanyc, at shuketnyc, at Bowery Group. And, um, and we didn't talk about Shuka Talks. I have that in my notes. Is that something you were doing on um, Instagram? During the pandemic. Okay. I felt like it was a way to still yeah. be connected and, you know, like you, us creatives can't be idle. We can try, but it just, just doesn't work. And it was just a way to, to, I always wanted to have like kind of a talk show. And um, I did it on Instagram. It was like every, it became Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It became like a full-time job, but I had such a ball. I remember. Yeah. I tuned in a bit. And I did I did some Instagram live interviews during the pandemic. I did a series of 10 because it was, yeah, that thing yeah. to connect and do. And I'm glad at some point, I think, go back and, like, watch them yeah. and see what we were talking about. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of white claw, <laughs> a lot of drinking. But um, 
But it was fun, I think, like to get to know people and more personally yeah, yeah. and, you know, get us through a tough time. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so, and on Instagram, you follow me um, at Sherry Bayer, Bayer PR, and at All Industry. Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin. Thanks again to Aisha. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I will be back on June 22nd with my with my show with Suzanne Barr. So tune in then. This is going to be after the James Beard Awards in Chicago and also after the Food and Wine Classic in Aspen, which I'm going to. I'm going back to back. So stay tuned for, for the, the recap of all that. That will be coming um, soon, too. Um, stay safe and well, and thank you always for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.